0: Um, The scripture reading is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you when I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of him. Since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe as displayed in the exercise of his immense strength. This power he exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God put all things under Christ's feet, and he gave him to the church as head over all things. Now the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right. Well, thank you, Cheklin. I'm definitely interested in that Scott Erickson event. <laughs> that thing is going to be great, by the way. Uh, that guy has traction at Regent. People really like him. And every time I tell people that Scott Erickson is coming and that we're organizing, they always say, like, what church do you go to? I say, Pilgrims. I've never heard of it. You should come. So it is a great place and a great time to invite friends over as well. So, yeah, that should be good. Uh, But I'm doing more spotlight things. Okay, Uh, so my name is Andres, most of you guys know me, if you don't know me, uh, I was born in Mexico, and I moved to Vancouver with my wife um, nine months ago, ten months ago. Yes, so it's been, it's been like, it it just went super fast. Uh, When we got here, my wife was pregnant, and our baby was born a couple months ago, uh, and it's all been super crazy and fun and exciting. Um, but I am a worship leader here. People told me that I was not going to find a job in Vancouver, and I found a job fairly quickly the first month. Uh, but we do feel that God brought us here with a purpose, and we're very happy to be a part of what God is doing here at Pilgrim. Um, what else? I'm a pastor's kid in recovery. Uh, <laughs> And I've been leading worship for 15 years, so half my life. I just turned 30, uh, which is also crazy and weird. Um, But yeah, I'm doing my master's at Regent. I'm doing a master's in theology. And uh, I get to serve here uh, on the weekends and just doing stuff over the weekend. And it's always great to be here and lead, lead you guys in worship. I feel very blessed to do that. So anyways... Um, let's pray if you don't mind. Join me in prayer and, and then we'll start this. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Thank you for your, for your love and your kindness. And thank you because you call us every day and we want to respond, Jesus, and we want to come to you and lay down our burdens and open our hearts and open our minds and listen to your word because we believe that If we listen to your word, our lives can change. We pray, Jesus, that you would bring that change today in your name. Amen. Amen. So the title of this sermon is called The Fullness of God. It it has another title that was very long and it couldn't fit the screen. But basically it's called The Fullness of God and Are You Sure You Haven't Mistaken Me for Someone Else? I don't know if you've ever had this kind of conversation when you ran into someone and you start talking to them and halfway through you're like, are you sure you're talking to me? Uh, often you get confused or you confuse people as you grow older. I'm not good with names and faces. That is a big problem that I have. But every now and then I confuse people or get confused. Anyways, uh, I want to begin this sermon by making an illustration. Uh, and the first point, you can follow the points in your... Sheet, if you have it over there. It's called Talents, Shortcomings, and Remote Controls, and I'll explain it real quick. Um, It doesn't take a very long time in life to figure out that there are some things that you're just good at. Uh, Harry's not here today, but we all know Harry. He's in the back. Harry's good at tech. That guy fixed my computer in like 20 minutes. I paid someone $200 to fix my computer, and it broke like a month later. Then I brought it to Harry, and he fixed it in like 20 minutes. He's good at tech, and I'm pretty sure it didn't take him long to figure that out. Fu, what are you good at? What's something that you're good at? Fu's good. Yeah, he's good at building. Uh, my wife's good at singing. We all have things that we're good at, and I'm pretty sure if I ask every one of you, um, probably, it doesn't take long to figure out that there are some things that you're good at. It also doesn't take very long in life to figure out that there are things that you're not good at. I am not good at math, for example. I'm good at Excel, so that makes my life easier. But when it comes to math, I'm, I'm not very good I Think about it. What, what's one thing that maybe you're not that good at? What's the shortcoming that you have? Um, the one thing, though, that I was not good at growing up was holding remote controls. You have no idea how many remote controls I broke, and how angry my dad was at me when I was growing up. It just was one after another. Like it, sometimes it would take like just seconds. Like I would just grab it and look around, and like the remote control was on the floor. I, if you give me a remote control, I'm not lying. I will break it. Like it just happens. I'm not good at holding them, and I am exaggerating to make a point, but. This is all going to make sense when I'm done, I promise. So keep that in mind. Shortcomings, talents, things you're good at, things you're not good at. Uh, Quick recap. The last time that I preached, um, a couple of months ago, I also spoke about Ephesians. And my main point was Ephesians 1.10, when it says that the mystery of God's will is to recapitulate or to retell all things in Christ And this means that God wants to retell your story, my story, the story of humanity, everything that is and has been. The purpose of God's will through sending Jesus, the purpose of the incarnation was that through his blood and through his resurrection, all things would be made new and all stories would be retold through the truth and the promises that we get in the gospel. That's Ephesians 1.10. It is a major game changer in the gospel and the story of Christianity. And people like Irenaeus and other church fathers in the second century have been talking about this and trying to figure out what the gospel writers and Paul and other people were trying to say. It is a mystery of God's will is revealed to us. And that is that God wants to recapitulate the story of the world to use biblical language, the story of the cosmos, of the whole universe. He wants to retell that story, and that is a very big deal for every one of us. So that's what I spoke about. That's what I preached about a couple of months ago. But now we're moving from the what to the how. So we get the what. This is what God wants to do. He wants to retell the story of humanity. The question is, how is he going to do it? Uh, And that's the real question, right? That's the business plan question meeting. You know, it's, uh, this all sounds great. Recapitulation, amazing, really cool. I love your enthusiasm. That's awesome. But how are we going to do this? Do you have a plan? Do you have funding? Um, Where's the timeline? How is it going to work? So in this sermon, we're moving from the what to the how. And, you know, original does not mean good. That's a joke, by the way. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's, that's the screen. Uh, how is God going to retell the story of every living being on the planet? How's that going to happen? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, so the answer to this question, uh, to answer this question, we get some words from Paul on Ephesians, verse 17. If you have your Bible, then you can follow with me. Uh, It's always interesting to see how Paul prays for the church. And this is definitely one of my favorite prayers. Uh, On verse 17, he says, I pray that God would give you the gift of seeing things people can't normally see because you are coming to know him. I may be using a different translation from yours. Uh, A more traditional version would probably use the word revelation here, which is basically seeing things that other people can't see. I pray that he may give you spiritual wisdom and revelation. In the Greek, it also translates. I pray that you would see things that other people don't usually or don't normally see. As we come to know him, we begin to see things that we wouldn't normally see. We begin to see the beauty of the unexpected we begin to see that the answer is not as obvious as we would think it is. The way that God is going to transform and retell the story of every living thing is not something that people would normally see. It is not a 10-point plan. It's not a political party. It's not an environmental bill. It's, It's also not an educational program. It's not a technological revolution, neither a violent one. It is not anything that you would normally say and or think as an obvious answer. It goes way beyond that. The way that this is going to work out, the way that this is going to hold up, needs to be revealed to us. And it can only be revealed as we come to know who Jesus is and as we experience a deeper and deeper relationship with him. It is simpler than we might expect. It is also more beautiful than we might think. Verse 18, Paul continues to pray, I pray that you would have the eyes of your inmost self opened up to God's light so that you may know the hope that goes with God's call. Another beautiful translation says, that the eyes of your heart may be illuminated so that you should know what the hope of his call is. It's a really good prayer. So, There are three things that Paul is praying for the church to grasp, to to get, to understand. And we're going to talk about those three things real quick. That the eyes of your heart may be illuminated so you can understand three things. Number one, the hope of your calling. That hope being that our story is constantly being retold by the life and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And everything that we have lost is found through Jesus. The hope that the world as we know it is not the end of the story. It's not done yet. There's more to come. There's a kingdom breaking in. There's a new age coming. There's a story being retold. And that's our story. Paul is saying, I want you guys to understand that there is hope in your calling. You weren't called to just go to a dead end. You were called to hope for something. And sometimes we get confused thinking that just because you're hopeful, you're maybe like more a romantic kind of person. I got this from one of my seminary professors once. When we were talking about God bringing life back to the earth and changing things and rebuilding the church. And, you know, all these kinds of ideas you get when you were young. Like, it's all going to change. and We're going to change the world. And he was saying, you guys are being too romantic. I think Paul might say, no, we're trying to understand the hope of our calling That things are going to change. That the dead will come back to life. And that God is going to do it again in our time. Paul is saying, I want you guys to understand that we have hope in Jesus. And that is the fruit of our redemption. Second thing. The wealth of the glory of his inheritance and here we're talking about the economy of the inbreaking kingdom of God. We have been talking about this in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1 4. The Bible says, You have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, reserved in heaven for you. Our inheritance in this new kingdom is not measured by worldly standards, it is not an inheritance of this world. You and I are a part of a new kingdom, and that changes everything. It should change the way we live, it should change the way we behave. It should change the way we use our money, we use our resources. It should even change the way we think about family and the most basic structures of society. Because it means that our inheritance is worth way more than any human or material position that this world could offer us. And that's the truth. Nothing this world could offer you can even begin to compare To the inheritance, the wealth of the glory of the inheritance that we have in Jesus. And Paul is saying this. I want you to understand that you were called to hope. To believe that things are going to change. As you do that, remember that your inheritance is not here. You're not going to take things that you have here. You may work for that and that's alright. That's good. You should work. And if you want to buy a house, buy it. And if you want to, you know, put a down payment for a car, do it. It's good. Things are good. But... We do not hold on to this inheritance as what moves us. This is not what... It shouldn't be what wakes us up in the morning. We should wake up in the morning believing that our inheritance is in heaven. And we're headed there. And heaven is coming to earth. And we're working towards that. So the hope of your calling and the wealth of the glory of his inheritance. Third and final thing. I'm not not done yet. Just the final point. The outstanding greatness of his power towards us. And I love that the word in Greek used in the original for power, it's dynamo, for dynamite. That's where it comes from. The outstanding greatness of the power that is working in us, that is working through us, of of his power towards us. And what power are we talking about? And Paul continues, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and sat Him at the right hand of the the Father, that same power is working towards you. Uh, Our translation in Spanish says, it is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that operates inside of you, that moves the church. And this is where it gets really exciting. This is a recapitulation project timeline. It is the same power that worked when Jesus was born, when he grew up, when he got baptized, when he began his ministry, when he started healing the sick, preaching to the poor, raising the dead. It is the same power that worked in him as he got arrested, as he faced an unjust trial, as he suffered on the cross, was buried. Same power that worked in Jesus as he was raised from the dead, Three days later, as he ascended into heaven, as he sat down at the hand of the Father and was placed above all rule and authority and power and lordship. Jesus was placed above every single thing on heaven and on earth that exists right now or will exist in the later age to come. God has put everything in the same word. He recapitulated everything. He brought everything together and he put it under the feet of Jesus. And then Paul says... He takes Jesus and he gives Jesus to the church. He takes Jesus who is above everything. Every living single thing that has or has been above the earth and under it, everything is put under the feet of Jesus. Jesus is placed in this position of supreme authority. This is a great passage of exaltation of Christ. And, and, and you're, you know, you're, you're getting with it. You're thinking, yes, Jesus is so high, so high. It's lifted up, raised in power, sat at the right hand of the Father, and then he takes Jesus and he gives him to the church. And my question is, the church? That's the plan? I can only imagine being in the church of Ephesus when they would actually read the letters out loud from beginning to end. That's what people will do. They would gather and they would just read Paul's letters. Especially when they were given. And I can only imagine sitting down and, and hearing this passage. And you know just really vibing with it. Like oh yes, amen. Yes, Jesus, right hand of the Father. He was seated there. And then he gave him to the church. And looking around saying, did he say the, the church? Are you serious? Paul, are you sure that's what the Holy Spirit said? Maybe you misunderstood that part. Are you sure you're not mistaking the church for something else or for someone else? What about hiring some professionals? Uh, There's a lot of people with degrees on recapitulation. There's a lot of PhD people who can really get this. Paul, have you heard about the UN? They are great. They are organized. They're all over the world. They have like you know offices all over the place they can totally recapitulate stuff better than not what about what about switzerland or finland they seem to have it figured out there's like almost no crime in those places they work great they are great governments great health care amazing food they must be doing something right maybe you can give jesus to them they might put him to a better use are you really giving jesus to the church Or as I would tell my dad, are you sure you want me to hold the remote control? Because I'm going to drop it. (laughs) What I'm trying to say, dad, is can you trust me? Jesus, should you trust me? One of my favorite songs is a sort of prayer to Jesus. And there's this one line that I've never been able to forget. And it says, Jesus, I know you think that I'm someone you can trust. But I'm scared I'm going to get scared and I'm going to try to nail you back up. Jesus Christ, are you really going to trust this amazing, beautiful, redemptive retelling of the story of the whole universe to the church? The church who is weak, who is frail, who constantly makes mistakes, breaks, divides, falls down, gets it wrong. Don't get me wrong, I love the church, but hey, it's a good day if we can figure out a date to have a leadership meeting all together. (laughs) I am sorry if I offended you right now. I just apologize. Seriously, though. Are you really going to trust the church with all its shortcomings... And the apostle says, yes. I'm going to give Jesus to the church. Why the church? Verse 23 continues. Because the church is his body. It is the fullness of the one who fills all in all. Jesus the one who feels all in all, who possesses all things, who feels the heavens with stars, who feels the seas with water, who feels everything, has decided to feel the church with the fullness of his presence. The mystery of the purpose of God's will is to retell the story of the universe through his church, his body, the fullness of his presence. It is not the obvious choice. It is not an easy answer. It is not something that you would normally think of, that God is going to change the world through a community of believers who are not even employed full-time. It is not an easy thing to grasp. How can something as a church contain the fullness of God? It would be as taking all the water in the ocean and placing it inside that small paper boat. That's what it will look like. It just doesn't seem possible. But Paul says, it is. God has decided to give Jesus to the church. I'm going to wrap up. Uh, David Fitch offers a helpful way of understanding this. And I'm going to read a quote from one of his newest books. Uh, I think it's on the screen. Or on your papers. Um, Fitch says... The Temple of Israel is a metaphor for the way God's presence is central to who the church is and the way it must inhabit the world in God's missions. God manifests His presence wherever the church meets, and from this place, His fullness extends into the world as the church makes space for God's presence to become visible. Through his people, God's presence becomes known over the whole world. It is a politic of fullness. In another part of the book he says, a theology of fullness. I really love just sitting down and staring at the ocean. It is one of my favorite things in the world. And I figured out a couple of months ago, before we came to Vancouver, we went to the beach. Uh... Now I was sitting down and I'm thinking, why do I enjoy this so much? Uh, like just sitting down with a book or some music and just looking at the ocean. I started reading that there's a thing called some sort of like a transcendence high that happens in your brain when you witness something that is larger than life. Uh, and then I remember that it also happened when I went through to the Grand Canyon and just stared at it and just like started crying. Because you're witnessing something that is way beyond what's normal, way beyond what you witness every day. It's just kind of like otherworldly. It's, it's transcendent. I certainly don't get that feeling when I look at the church. Especially growing up in a church and witnessing all the backstage stuff that happens. At some point... You're just unable to escape it, you know? Um, I remember I would hear people trash talk my dad often. Friends or whenever I would go to their like parents' friends or whatever. I was fine with that. I was like, well, my dad chose this life. He wanted to be a pastor, so, you know, it's part of the job. He gets he gets talked down, pushed down, sometimes fairly, sometimes unfairly, mostly uh, the unfair side. But... I was thinking, like, that's, that's okay. Like, he can take it. I remember the first time I heard someone trash talk my mom. The first time I heard someone trash talk my two little brothers. Something in me just kind of broke. And it's taken me a long time to come back from that. Because it's really hard to see Jesus when you're hurt. And sadly, we've made the church a place where people get hurt. It, it's hard to look at the church and, and think it's worthy of embodying the fullness of God, of, of a Jesus who we have come to know is so good and so kind and so loving and so peace-bringing and just like everything that you have hoped and wished for for your entire life you can find in Jesus. And to think that that Jesus wants to embody this church seems like something's off. But I wonder... And this is the important question. What I think is not important. This is the important part. What does God feel when he looks at the church? What is God seeing in us that we can't see in ourselves? In ourselves. How is he seeing past our shortcomings? How is he seeing past the hurt and the injustice and the pain and the suffering? Because if he thinks we're up to the challenge. If he has decided to do this wonderful work of retelling the story of humanity through us, there must be something that we're missing. Another helpful question is, what do people outside the church think when they look at us? What do our friends and family think when they look at the way we love each other and the way we forgive each other? And the way that we take care of each other. And I hope they can see Jesus when we're doing that. And our goal, our aim, is that when people look at us, that when people look at the church, when we look at the church, we can see the fullness of Jesus. That's the promise. That's the standard. That's what we're aiming for. Nothing less but the fullness of who Jesus is. It is through his body. Through the church. That God would tell the story of history. There's no plan B. It's, the scripture's not going to change. He's not just going to say. Well they weren't up for the challenge. So now we're just going to use. Whatever company or whatever. It's not going to happen like that. He is going to build up the church. He is going to use the church. And whenever we, we stand here and we sing. Build your kingdom here. We're singing it because we believe it's going to happen. It's not an empty. It's not an empty word. I don't mean to bum you out. (laughs) I'm okay. We're doing fine. This is an exciting time for us as a church, but this is a game changer. Ephesians is all about learning who God is. As we learn who we are, as Paul says, as we come to know him, And we come to know the hope of his calling and the wealth of our inheritance and the power that works in us. As we get to know who Jesus is and experiencing more, we'll begin to know who we are and what our place in the world is and what he is expecting of us, what he thinks we're capable of. And we'll begin to see ourselves the way that Jesus sees the church. That is the challenge. And if there's anything that I want you to take from the sermon is this. Ask the Holy Spirit. What do you see in me? How do you view the church? Because I want to see the things that you see. I want to believe in the things that you believe. I want to do the things that you did. It's not done. It's not over. And we're going to be a part of it. And as the worship team comes up for for one more song, uh, I'm just going to do one prayer. And then we're going to sing together. And and then Pastor Shell is going to do a benediction. Um, so I'm going to ask you to close your eyes or just focus on on Jesus and I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask you to stand and we'll sing together one last time Jesus we thank you for your word We thank you because you are with us, because you don't let go. Jesus, we ask that you would give us eyes to see the church like you do. That you would give us a heart to understand the hope to which you have called us, the wealth of of our inheritance, the greatness of your power which works towards us and through us. Jesus, we look to you. You are the head of the church. You are the one who has called us, who calls us still today to lay down our burdens, to lay down our pride, to offer our hearts so that you can work in us and through us and spread your presence to the world. Because we know that we live in a world that needs your presence. And if we embody the fullness of your presence, we want to spread it. We want to share it with our friends, with our neighbors with our work colleagues, with the random people that we see at the streets, we want to share your love, your kindness, your forgiveness. Jesus, we look to you, and we pray that you would teach us to look to see the way that you do. In your name, Amen.